Well, we're continuing the riveting story of Acts. Uh, why don't you turn to chapter 3 in the book of Acts? It's been a fast ride already. I hope you've enjoyed it. It's been a really good book, isn't it, to get stuck into, full of life, full of encouragement. So we've seen Jesus um, rising from death. We've seen Jesus ascending to heaven, the Holy Spirit being given. We've seen Peter standing up to explain all that and uh, 3,000 people getting saved. We looked at the birth of the early church community, what that looked like. And last week, Dan looked uh, with us at uh, what that looked like in practice. Now today, we're gonna take a day of the early church and look like what that, what that looks like in, in daily activities. It's, it's quite a story, really. So we're in uh, chapter three, verse one, and just please read with me. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. We'll just skip a few verses. We're going to verse 13. So everyone runs together, and Peter starts to explain. The God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will rise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers and you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. Saying to Abram, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Wow, what a story. It's the first 
recorded miracle in, the, in the, the book of Acts that is performed by the apostles after the ascension. And uh, uh, Peter speaks to the onlookers who've all come running to see what's happened, to explain what's happened. Now, according to Tim Keller, a theologian, uh, this miracle points upwards, it points forwards, it points inwards, and it points downwards. Now, if you'd like to know what that means, I'll take you on a little journey to discover that. So first of all, it points upwards. Now imagine, you lived at that time, and you'd been walking to the temple every day, and you'd been seeing this man sitting at the gate of the temple for, I don't know, 20 plus years? All of a sudden, standing up on his feet, looking healthy. I mean, you'd be curious, wouldn't you? We sometimes see people sitting in the city center or whatever, and we pass by them. Most of the time, don't even notice them. Imagine one of those suddenly standing up, and something's happened. I mean, everyone is curious. They all come flogging in. They all come running in, it even says. But Peter and John are very quick to point the amazement away from the miracle to God. They said, who do you think that, that we are that we made this man walk? This is about God. It's faith in the name of Jesus that this man has been made strong. You see, the miracle is pointing upwards. Now, in chapter 2, a few weeks back, we've already looked how Peter said that um, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. Now, that means that Jesus performed miracles as an accreditation of his words. God accredited his words through miracles. And now he's accredited the disciples' word through miracles. Now, many of us struggle to get our heads around miracles. Some people believe that they're just nice illustrations in Scripture, but surely they didn't really happen. Anything that goes against the laws of nature is almost conceived to be impossible. But because this passage explains that miracles are done to accredit the words that are spoken, this passage leaves us no such option. Either the miracles really happened and the words are true, or the miracles didn't happen and the words are not true. And therefore, God continues to accredit words with miracles. Now, for most of us, it's hard to believe that God could go outside the natural laws to perform a miracle. We look around, and every day we're confronted with the natural laws, aren't we? But it says in Scripture that God sustains the world by the word of his power, Hebrews 1 verse 3. Now, the usual way he does that is by the natural laws. Gravity is one of God's inventions. This is the way the world works. But because God sustains the world and the natural order, it's not difficult for him to um, uh, accomplish his means through the natural laws or outside the natural laws. He created them in the first place. For him to perform a miracle is as easy as to use the natural laws. Therefore, it's inconsistent to believe in God and not believe in miracles. If you believe in God but not believe in miracles, you're saying that God cannot act outside his own natural laws. That is ridiculous. If God invented them in the first place, created them in the first place, then surely he could go around them. He did so in the time of Jesus, the time of the apostles, and he still does today. God performs miracles to show that his words have power. So this 
miracle points upwards. It also points forwards. When we read here through uh, scripture, we can see that the crippled man leaped up. Um, This is quite a specific word. Now, many people in that day who would have heard that word would have immediately thought of Isaiah's prophecy in uh, chapter 35 of Isaiah, verse 5. I'll just read it for you. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And this prophecy points forward to a day where God is going to restore the whole world. It points forward. And in verse 21, we've read that God sent Christ, appointed to you Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. Now that means that through Jesus, we become the inheritance of the covenant and all the promises that are given through the prophets. And that means that this miracle is pointing forward to a day where God is going to restore not just one man's feet, but he's going to restore all of creation. Now, I don't know whether you thought about it, but miracles in Scripture are never just a performance of power. You don't see Jesus flying across the temple courts saying, I'm the Son of God, look at me. He could have. You don't see him walking through walls just to prove that he's a divine being. No, all the miracles he performs are dealing with suffering. All of them are pointing forward to a day where restoration is going to come, where God will restore the whole world. Now, in the beginning, when God created the world, there was no pain. There was no sickness. There was no death. None of it was there. Until humankind came into the picture and turned away from God. And from that moment onwards, sin, death, pain, suffering, sickness enters into the world And all of that, God is planning to redeem, to restore. You could say that Jesus performing this miracle was the only natural thing that happened in this broken world at that time. You could say that every miracle that happens is the only natural thing that happens in this world and how it was intended to be. One day... God will deal with all sickness, death, pain, and illness. And the hope of that will help us in our current suffering and challenges. Now, when I was 18, one of my friends uh, got cancer. Uh, It was very tragic. Young guy, very athletic, loved football. Um, And uh, in, in just a space of a year... He, uh, he, he just withered down. I mean, he had chemotherapy, was in hospital, uh, had an operation, uh, all sorts. And uh, I went to visit him regularly, and I remember the last visit that I did. He was laying in bed. He'd lost all his hair, half his body weight. Um, he was confused because of the, the, the morphine, um, and he was crippled. He lay in bed, crippled. And um, it was so hard to see him like that, because I knew what he was like. And uh, on the day of his funeral, his family decided to put a picture on the booklet that was handed out. And that picture um, displayed him from a few years back uh, in his prime of his life. And they were right to do so because that's how they, would cho- how they would choose to remember him. And one day, when God is going to restore all things, that is what he will be and more. So 
when we think of what creation is going to be, even as we're going through suffering, we remember that one day he will restore the whole world. And that's what this miracle is pointing towards. Now, there is a now aspect of the kingdom we already looked at today. Um, that means that miracles do happen. But there is also a not yet aspect, which means that in our suffering, we uh, hold on to God in endurance, in the trust that one day he will restore all things. So this miracle is pointing forwards. It's also pointing inwards. It points to the need of salvation and it shows us how we can receive that salvation. In uh, Peter, uh, Peter says in uh, verse four, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. Now at that moment, the man was asking for alms. That's what he perceived was his greatest need. He needed money to buy some food. And yet Peter says to him, you have got a need that is greater than money. And then he heals him. Heals him. But we can see that something has happened in that moment in time that points deeper than just a healing. We can see in verse 16 that Peter says, by faith in Jesus' name, this man has received healing. Something had happened. Now imagine you were the man sitting there. You've been crippled for 40 years. Somebody comes up to you and says, in Jesus' name, stand up. Reaches out, your, reaches out his hand. Why on earth would you grab that hand? If you know that you can't walk, that you can't stand, you would save yourself the public embarrassment of trying to, wouldn't you? Unless you had faith. Unless you had faith that something was actually about to happen. And this man exercised faith, reached out his hand, and was made well. And at that moment, he is restored. Now this miracle points to another miracle in Luke chapter 5, when four friends, or more, we don't really know, come to Jesus, who lower down their friend through a roof in front of Jesus, who's also crippled. And at that moment in time, Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now imagine you were that man for a minute. You'd come to Jesus, well, your friends had dragged you to Jesus, and you want to receive healing. You didn't come for a sin washing, you came for healing. You could have said to Jesus at that moment in time, don't you see that I have a more urgent need, a more obvious need? Thanks for the sin bit, but I need my legs, right? But Jesus says, no, that is not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you are restored into a relationship with God through grace, through the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this man could have argued, well, um, that's all nice and good, but what would make me really happy is to be able to walk. Imagine you'd not been able to walk for 40 years. Probably the one thing in your mind, if, if, if anyone asked you the question, what is the one thing that you would like? You would probably say, the one thing that would make me really happy is being able to walk. But it's not true. See, it would have been great for the first month, probably the second month, maybe the third month. Perhaps it would start to wear off on the fourth month and he would join everyone else in this world who's walking and remains unhappy. Do you know a few people who are walking and are unhappy? 
There is a need that goes deeper, inwards. It shows us the need not for gold and silver, but for a relationship with God. Now, God is committed to end suffering, but our greatest problem is not suffering. It is sin. One ounce of sin can destroy you more than 10 tons of suffering. If you have the right heart, suffering will make you more patient, more caring, more loving, more surrendered to God. But sin cuts you off from God and you will never be able to receive any of that. You see, if God is the most important thing in your life and his love has filled your heart completely, even your suffering will be tolerable. Now, miracles point inward to that reality, to find what you really need. Not something that's physical, but something that is spiritual. Most of us come to Jesus because we hope for something. And that's not wrong. That's okay. That's understandable. But he wants to take you deeper to see what you really need. Now finally, this miracle points downwards. Perhaps a strange direction. But in Peter's speech, verse 18, it says that Christ would suffer. And I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've not quite noticed it yet. But, but in Acts, the book of Acts, Miracles always bring the miracle worker in trouble. You see, chapter 4 is about how these guys are put in prison for healing this man. A few chapters later, we can see how they're being beaten. And then we can see that Stephen is being killed. And then we can see that a great persecution breaks out. This is a shifting moment in the book of Acts. It's getting them in trouble. And the same thing happened to Jesus. We can see that Jesus healed Lazarus. He brought him from, back from the dead. A few verses later, we read the Pharisees decided to kill him. You see, Jesus could not bring Lazarus out of the tomb without putting himself into the tomb. Jesus died for the miracles he performed. There's power that goes out from his healings. We can see that with a woman with bloodlust. She touches Jesus, power goes out. Now that means that her weakness was absorbed by Jesus and his power goes out. You see that Jesus, through performing miracles, brings weakness, becomes weaker. Now that's not the story we have in mind, isn't it? Superheroes, by their, by, I mean, if, you read, if you're into Marvel or whatever, um, you'll see that superheroes, by their powers, become invincible. But with Jesus, it's the other way around. It's through the miracles that he becomes weak. We can see it with the greatest miracle ever, when Jesus becomes a man. It doesn't make him stronger. He was God, but now becomes a man. Now he's somebody who can be killed. And therefore we can see, just like Peter and John, becoming weaker, that it's only through weakness that we can receive God's strength. Ultimately, Jesus came to die on the cross in weakness to perform the greatest miracle, to give you and me life. And we can read in verse 19 that only through weakness we can receive his life. It says repent and surrender. Now, I don't know about you, but 
if I'm having an argument with Simona, my wife, saying sorry does not feel like a superpower. Right? We've been holding off. No, you first. No, you first. I, I'm sure none of you have that problem, but um, saying sorry, repenting is weakness. Receiving Jesus' gift can only happen through weakness. Acknowledging that you need God. Now, most of us come to Jesus for a little top-up. We think we're pretty okay, but we come to Jesus to make us even better. Well, my friends, that's not the story of the gospel. You need Jesus because you've got nothing. You need his life because you don't have any in and of yourself. You need to surrender your life, lose control to receive what he has. Now, God's power also comes to the world through weakness. I love this part. Um, We can see in the early church very clearly displayed. Um, We've just read about it last week. We've seen how they care for one another and that displayed the gospel. Now, how can they care for one another if there wasn't a need? You see, we all like coming to church and we'd love to help other people. But when we're in need, we'd probably rather stay home because we feel weak. But how can people who are willing to serve meet a need if there's no needy people? I don't know if you've discovered already, but the church is not full of perfect people. We need one another. And as we share our weakness, we bring a gift to the church where one another can be cared for. So on your great days, come to church. Be a blessing to others. On your bad days, come to church and be a receiver of that blessing. Open your life. Now, in this COVID season, it's very easy to become isolated and withdrawn. It's very easy to put up a nice face behind a screen and then just kind of wither away on your own. That's not the gospel, my friends. That's not what church should be like. We should be inviting one another. There's many hurdles to cross, but let's let people come close in our need. Now, we can also see that the early church was a huge example. If you go to the second and the third century, we can see that there was a big uh, urban plague that broke out in the Greco-Roman world. And people just left their sick dying because they were too scared of getting sick themselves, except for the Christians. He says, the Christians stayed and took care of them. Heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, even when it led them to their own death. They had no fear. They were willing to lay down their own lives to care for other people. Now that is the gospel displayed through weakness, isn't it? In 1527, the bubonic plague hit Wittenberg and Martin Luther refused to flee the city. He stayed to care for the sick. And through that, he lost his daughter, Elizabeth. She died. But in that time, he wrote, we die at our post. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It it turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. Now, what does that mean for us as we're coming out of COVID season? It doesn't mean let's throw all caution to the wind. 
because we want to care for one another. There's still people vulnerable that we want to care for. But we don't do so out of fear for our own lives. We are willing to lay down our own lives, but out of care for other people. Now, our love for others motivates us to stay at our post. I don't know if you've heard, but there's been some research done, and it turns out that in the West, about a third of the church has disappeared in the season of COVID. A third of the people in the church have slipped out. They've abandoned their post. It's painful. It's difficult. And that as we're coming out of this, we must learn to be faithful. Now, we understand that there are lots of challenges. That's why we take precautions, wear mouth masks. Uh, we do an online stream for people who can't come, who are too vulnerable. Like we want to make space for all of that, out of love for one another. But there's also a convenience element that lures us away from church. It's very easy to pop up a laptop, sit in your PJs on the sofa, just to watch church, isn't it? I quite enjoyed that for a year, yeah? No need to get out of bed or talk to anyone, just stream in. Um, let convenience not be the thing that pulls you from your post. It's important to engage together, and it's important to be present with one another. We need one another, because as we are caring for one another, as we're drawing together, we are on display. The gospel is on display. How can we be on display when we act like everyone else? We want to be together and make a difference. People who are fearless for their own lives, willing to care for one another. Take care, absolutely, but willing to care for one another. It's a very important moment for us. I want to call the church back to its post. We have got an important signal function to our community and it's important for us to do that together. It says in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 4, for Jesus was crucified in weakness so that we will live by the power of God. There are many people who need to receive God's power and God wants to do it through the display of the church, us. He wants to use us, not as superheroes. In many ways, probably displays his weakness, but that will display God's power. So we've seen that this miracle points upward to God, forward to the day where he's going to restore all things, inward for our need that is more than just physical, and downward that through weakness we receive what Jesus has done for us, and through weakness, we display that to the rest of the world. Why don't we stand together to respond to that in prayer? Father, you know that we're going through many challenges. We're in a building that is not our usual Sunday meeting place. Uh, we don't have the normal facilities of welcoming people, children's work, all these things. Lord, uh, we, we, we struggle with that. We want to admit that to you.
But we say, will you help us to still be a community, to still come together, to care for one another and be at our post? Lord, I pray for those who are vulnerable, who need to stay at home. Lord, I pray that you'll meet their needs. But I pray, Lord, that you will meet a deep need, not just a physical need, but a spiritual need, that you will be their peace and their comfort. Lord, I pray for those who are fearful. Lord, I pray that you will be their courage, that you will strengthen them. Lord, I pray for those who've slipped in convenience mode. Lord, I pray that you call us back to our post to be a witness for the world. Lord, I pray for the sick. Just like this miracle, Lord, we believe that you still work your hand of power, Lord. So I pray now, Lord, that you will come and bring healing. If you are here and you need healing in any way, let me just invite you to put a hand on the body part that you want to receive healing in. If you're watching online and you're unwell, you want to receive healing, just place a hand on the body part that you need healing for. Or imagine the person uh, that you would like to pray for healing for in your mind. Jesus, I pray that you will come and extend your hand of power in this season to show us that your words are still true. I pray now for sickness to go and healing to come in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for all of us as we go out in our normal everyday lives, Lord, that you make us aware of the needs around us. And I pray that you'll make us a sign and a wonder for your kingdom, that we will not be held back by fear, but that we will step out, meeting the needs of others, reaching out to them as a display of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.